Good morning. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I'm going to try to be quick so that we can pray together. I haven't often been accused of being quick, so it's a problem. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 4 this morning, and uh, if you would just grab that. And um, in the meantime, I'm just going to pray for us so that we can get into it. Father, we thank you for, for you, and we thank you, God, for, for the relationship, God, that you desire to have with us, and for the open door that you set before us to be with you, and to know you. And it's just the greatest thing in the world, Lord, is to be able to be close to you. And Father, you know that some may trust in their doctrines and some may trust in their teachings, but God, we trust in you. And we call upon your name this morning, Lord. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come into this place and do a mighty, mighty work. Open every heart and every mind for what it is that you would like to do today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, want to, I want to talk for a few minutes, uh, and then um, I really hope that we have enough time to, to pray together, because that's, that's what's really on my heart here. But I want to talk about rejection, um, which is kind of a weird topic. It's not, it's not my typical thing, but um, I feel like God's just been highlighting to me recently how common it is and how um, it just runs like a, like a disease uh, in the church. And it, it just destroys relationships and distorts realities in a way that is, um, is, is very, very difficult and, and creates um, sometimes generational problems. Now, I want to give you a few examples in the scripture and, uh, and then just, just ask and encourage you to think about um, whether it has any effect in your own life. So in Genesis chapter 4 is a story of Cain and Abel and we'll just um, read from the beginning here. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord, I'm sorry if I'm reading very quickly. I'm reading like I'm running out of time. Uh, that was a Hamilton reference in case, sorry. It's, uh, um, that's hopefully my only cultural reference for the day. <laughs> in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering out of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the, Cain, and the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Um, you know something that Cain doesn't know. Uh, which is that God commanded um, that the offering to him be uh, a sacrifice of sheep. The burnt offering was sheep. Uh, you, you know that, but Cain didn't. And so when Abel brought his gift to the Lord and it was sheep, it was acceptable to the Lord. But when Cain brought his offering, which was, you know, cucumbers or something, God didn't want the cucumbers. And I can understand why God wouldn't want the cucumbers, but God didn't want the cucumbers, you know. God had made cucumbers for uh, animals. Uh, some say people, but I'm not sure. No, I'm just kidding. So God had, they're, they're just different purposes. They're different things. They're different callings and different gifts. Cain's gift was to raise food out of the ground for livestock and for humans and for other people that eat that stuff. 
And Abel's gift, Abel's uh, role in life was to raise up livestock, which was the offering that God desired and accepted for man. And the fact that God did not accept Cain's offering is not the same as God not accepting Cain. But Cain perceived that God rejecting his offering, because it wasn't the offering that God wanted, was the same as God rejecting him. Does that make sense? And so what does God do? God comes and warns Cain, right? And, and God says to Cain, he says, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? Do you see, when you feel rejected, what happens? You get discouraged and disappointed and you get angry because you feel that you've been rejected. Now, Cain personally was not rejected, his offering was rejected. But he felt, nevertheless, personal anger and personal discouragement and disappointment, right? And then God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, God says, you, you haven't been rejected. It's not, it's not that you've been rejected, it's that you need to do well in the position and the place that I've given you in life rather than looking at Abel. In other words, Abel has taken the position of essentially a priest in making offerings to God and, and Cain has taken the position of you know, a catering team or something. You know, he's feeding men, he's, feeding, he's doing other things that are good and necessary. They're just, it's just a different, it's a different thing, right? But, the, but because Cain does not have Abel's calling or position, he feels that he's been rejected by God even though he hasn't. He's just got something different to offer. But in having something different to offer, he feels that he's personally been rejected. Does that make any, does that relate? Do you, can you relate to that at all? I feel like I can relate, but I, I don't know if you can relate. And so God says, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, he says, don't, don't believe that you've been rejected. You haven't been rejected. It's just, it, it's just a matter of what choices you're going to make, right? And then God says, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Rejection is one of the primary doors that opens sin. Uh, that, you know, that, that if you, if you, if you attach to rejection and you believe it and you put your faith in the fact that you've been rejected or fear that you've been rejected, you absolutely open a door to sin that otherwise would not be in your life. Does that make any sense? Very often, people that are walking well with God, righteously, doing a good job with God, that all of a sudden fall into sin, they do so because they perceive that they've been rejected, either by God or man, and they can't handle it well. They don't, they're, they're, it's, it's not received correctly in them. And so God warns Cain, he says, if you go down this road of believing in that rejection, you're going to sin. Sin is crouching there. It's ready to pounce on you. It's a, it's a doorway that's going to be open unless you can, you can deal with the rejection correctly. And because it's such a, it's such a powerful thing, I, I, I think here's, what, here's, here's what's happened. Rejection is real. And uh, do, you, do you know how there are some people with, with good intentions that, that lie because, uh, <laughs> because of their good intentions? And, and, and one of those lies is that God doesn't reject anyone, but he does. Rejection in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's a neutral thing. God is judged. Of course he rejects. There are some that he brings into eternal life. There are some that, that, he, that, that he does not. Like it, it's, of, of course he rejects. It's just the way that you understand it. God, uh, Samuel said to Saul in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, he said, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. So when we tell people that, well, God doesn't reject, that, that's not true. And because it's not true, it doesn't actually help anyone at all uh, to say things that are not true that just seem very good to us. God rejects. But the question is understanding why and how and how we cannot be rejected by God because it's not his desire. His desire is to adopt us as sons and to accept us. It's not his desire to reject us 
But when we tell people that God doesn't reject anyone, but then they experience the rejection of the Lord, then that, does, that, does that make any sense? That becomes a problem. And so you face real rejection in life. Um, I, I don't know if you remember in Psalm 51, uh, Psalm 51 is the creating in me a clean heart, O Lord, Psalm, where David, you know, it, uh, presumably pens it after he, he has his, his, his situation with Bathsheba. And uh, it, it's very interesting. I think it's in uh, verse 16 and 17. David says this, and this is, this is probably the most powerful thing that I've ever learned about, about rejection. Um, David says, um, uh, I, uh, he says, like, if, uh, if you desired a burnt offering, I'm paraphrasing now, but he says, if, if you desired a, a sacrifice, I would give it, but it's not what you want, O Lord. And he says, the sacrifice of the Lord is a broken and contrite heart, a broken spirit you will not despise. And there are a lot of us, when we feel rejection from God or from people, we, we try to, to undo it by offering a sacrifice, in other words, by working harder or doing something to counteract the effect of the rejection that we feel. Does that make any sense? Like, I feel like I'm rejected because I don't work hard enough. I feel like I'm rejected because my grades aren't good enough. I feel like I'm rejected because my hair is not pretty enough. I feel like I'm rejected because I'm not thin enough or I'm not, does that, does that make any sense? And so then we decide we're gonna do something to counter that rejection, but that's not the way it works. David's confession is correct. He says, a broken and contrite heart you will not reject. You will not despise. It's, it's not doing something. When we are rejected, either by God or people, doing something is not the way to counter that rejection. You don't get out of it by trying to work your way out of it. You humble yourself. And God accepts 100% of people who are humble. 100% of broken and contrite spirits, God accepts. He doesn't need you to, 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 to try to undo it. He doesn't need you to try to pretend to be better. He doesn't need you to try harder. It's not, I mean, those things are all good. We should try that. But, but, but what brings us back into a right place with God is, is just allowing our heart to be broken inside of us, allowing ourselves to find contrition in a place where, where, where we can approach God again. Does that sort of make, make, make sense, hopefully? All right, I'm trying to rush through this because the fact that rejection is real, um, it, it, it's very difficult. Uh, I see the effects of it all around. I, and uh, it, it, look, I'm, I'm very inexperienced, you know, <laughs> so I, I don't want to, you know, to, uh, to say that this is everywhere and you know, all, all the time. And, um, but at least in my own church, in, in my life, in my relationships, I, I feel it. There are some people that, um, that have faced so much rejection in life and, and have, have come under such a, a faith in the fact that they are rejected that if there's any Sunday morning that I don't smile at them or give them a hug, they feel rejected. And here's the problem. Like, I'm not a very smiley person. I think I've done more smiling this weekend than I have, like, all year. Like, that, like I'm not... And the fact that I don't smile at you does not mean that I'm, not, that I'm upset with you. That's just my resting face, as some people say. This is my resting face. Like sometimes I'm thinking about something and you know, when you're walking in the door, like I'm thinking about something. I'm not thinking of smiling at you. I'm thinking about something and I'm not upset that you're there. I'm just thinking about something like you do, like, do you know? Like, like, so it's, it, it, but, but, but that happens. I've had um, someone say to me once, uh, um, I'm paraphrasing and she's like, you know, I'm, I'm in such a bad and sinful place. I, said, I don't want to get near you and I don't want to get near any of the guest speakers because it might rub off on you. And I'm like, well, that is such a very sad thing to think. Because that's not the way that, that's not the way that this, that's not the way it works. God doesn't reject you because you're a sinner. God rejects you because you're prideful. 
He doesn't reject anyone who sins and then humbles themselves. That, that's, that, that's what David's confession was. David found his way back to God because he found his way to humility. He understood that if you sin and you humble yourself, you are now accepted again. That's, that's what we get through the blood of Jesus. We get to be accepted all the time if we're willing to humble ourselves. It's that easy. We don't need to work our way out of it. We don't need to earn our way out of it. We don't need to pretend to be better. We don't need to, to say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I wish I was better. You don't need to, you don't need to, you just need, all you have to do is be humble. A humility is the greatest apology that, that anybody could ever give. It, it's not, you don't need to say sorry a hundred times. You just have to be humble, I, 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 in my opinion. You just have to be humble. Do you know? Rejection creates it's very difficult because um, I think the devil understands the power of it. And because he understands the power of it, I, I, I think that over thousands of years, he's crafted ways to make people feel rejected even, though, even when they're not. And he's crafted ways to make people fear rejection so that they begin to push away that thing that, that, that God wants them to have. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you like a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Well, that's very interesting. In other words, Jesus was, was desiring, God was desiring to reach Jerusalem, but they were not willing. And then what does Jesus say next? He says, and you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, the, Jesus had not rejected Jerusalem. Jerusalem had rejected Jesus, correct? But because Jerusalem had rejected Jesus, Jesus could not minister to and bless the city the way that he desired. And he says, you're not going to see me again. I'm not going to try this again until you are ready to accept me for who I am. And the powerful thing about this is, do you see, God had not rejected Cain, but because Cain was scared that God was going to reject him, Cain killed Abel, and then God rejected Cain. In other words, rejection very often is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because you fear being rejected, you go do that very thing that causes you to have to be rejected. And it's crazy. But it all starts with this idea in our mind that we are rejected. Well, we're not rejected. You're accepted. But if you believe that you're rejected, then you'll go do whatever it takes to become rejected. And then you blame the people for rejecting you and then you, you know, all this stuff and then relationships get broken. You're like, well, it's because I was rejected. Yeah, you're rejected because you, like it's, 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 it's a crazy cycle and, and it's, it's a scheme. In 2 Corinthians chapter two, Paul talks about, you remember, he talks about forgiving the sinner and he, and he says, don't let them experience excessive sorrow. And he says, you know, like the majority will punish them and then, you know, reaffirm your love for them. And at the end of that, those, that section of verse, he says, for we, do not, we are not going to be outwitted by the devil, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And what is he talking about? He's talking about the way that a sinner feels rejected um, and, and how that is a scheme of the enemy to actually further and fuel greater sin. If the devil can get you to believe that your sin causes you to be rejected, you will actually go and sin more. And we can't be ignorant of it. The fear of being rejected is a, is a very, very significant weapon that he uses to create all sorts of separation, all sorts of division, all sorts of tension that, that is, is, is unbelievable. Um, we've hosted events for a number of years. I, I've, I've seen people walk through the doors, and the moment they walk through the doors, they feel like we don't want them to be there. 
They won't look at any of our staff in the eyes that, you know, be like, oh, you know, I'm not welcome. I'm just going to scoot over to my chair and sit down and not bother anyone. And uh, Why? <laughs> we accepted your registration, you know. If we didn't want you to be here, we would have rejected it. <laughs> there are members of our church sometimes. They feel like, you know, we don't want them to be a member of the church. Oh, we would kick you out if we didn't want you to be a member of the church. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> there's time for that, too. So there's sometimes you have to do that. But, but, but the... It's, it's crazy. The fear that you might be rejected, it propels people down the path to being rejected. It's, it, and you have to break it off at the point of that fear, that, 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 that time where the devil puts in your mind, ah, you know, nobody likes you, you are rejected. You have to break it off there. I am, it, it's, it's greatly sorrowful to me. I see this in, um, there are great, great, great leaders in the body of Christ. There are men and women that I look up to, but every time they minister, they feel like they failed. And they haven't. Hundreds of people got touched. Thousands of people got touched. But every time they minister, they feel like they failed. They didn't say the right thing. The Lord didn't use them enough. Somebody didn't get touched. They failed. And it's, I mean, the great, I mean some of the greatest meetings, and sometimes when there are guests, they'll ask me, you know, was that okay? Is that what you wanted? Is that... Uh, d- d- I mean, there, there's, there's a polite way to ask that too, you know, because we're the hosts and, and they want to be respectful. But, but sometimes it's just out of a fear of man. Sometimes it's just, you know, did I, do, did I perform what you wanted me to perform when you brought me in? And that, that's never, I don't want anybody to perform anything. <laughs> that, that's not, I mean, pleasing, pleasing us is not, is, is not at all. The, that, that's not the goal. That, that's, not, that's not part of, that's nothing. That's not, you don't even, I don't want you to think about, I don't want you to think about what I care about or what I think. I mean, when we invite somebody to minister, the only person that they answer to is God. I, I mean, I, I understand, you know, honoring the host and things like that, but, but what would give me the greatest pleasure is if they felt free to care about nobody else's opinion other than God's. But, but, but because of the way that ministry works and because of, of, of the way that people feel the need to please the crowd and to, you know, bring it out, very often, very, I'm, I'm telling you, men and women of God that I honor, that I greatly respect, decades in the ministry, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people touched through their lives, and still, every time they get up, there's a, there in them is, a, is a, just a fear of, oh, am I going to be rejected by the people? Am I going to be rejected by the people? And, 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 and listen, I mean, yes, the Lord will minister to you. Yes, the Lord will heal you. But, but that the, very th- the, the very fact that that thought is there, it stains your ministry. It touches it and it changes it. It causes you to say things that you wouldn't otherwise say or, or do things or imply things that it's just not necessary. It's a, it's a pull on your mind and on your heart that shouldn't be there at all. Does that make any sense? And, and, and I, I, look, I, I mean, if it's in the hearts and the minds of, of some of the greatest men one of God I know, I, I, I assume that it's a lot more common than we like to think. The world out there loves to reject people. It loves to teach you to reject people on the basis of their skin color, of their gender, of their age, of their, of their body size, of their shoe size, I mean, of their belt size, of their, the, of their beard size. I, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, 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 it's absolutely intense. I mean, there is an entire culture out there that says that if you're a woman and you don't wear a size two or four, then you're not a valuable woman. And that's, that's craziness. And we as a church, we buy into this stuff. I've been to churches where everybody dresses exactly alike. And they, whatever the pastor wears, you know, four weeks later, that, that's what, that's, that's crazy. Like, that, that is crazy. That, and why do we do this? It's because we, 
it's, we desire to be accepted. And that's a hat everybody else is wearing, so I'm going to wear that hat. Those are the shoes everybody else is wearing, so I'm going to wear their shoes. And that's the water everybody else is, is drinking out of, so, so I've got to drink out of that water bottle. It, it's, it's insanity, the amount of effort that we spend making sure that we are not rejected by others. It's something that, that for those of you that have children, you've got to pay attention to it when you're very young. Um, our son, uh, you probably see him crawling around. He's the one-year-old that looks like a three-year-old. <laughs> um, it's a funny story that really highlighted this to me. Um, he, he's one. A few months ago, um, his sister, who's our, our four-year-old, got a, a, a toy, like a little cashier box kind of toy with fake money and, and things to buy. And one day, sister went to bed, so he decided to play with her toy. He's not allowed to do it during the day when sister's awake. The sister was asleep, so he decided to play with her toy, and, and he didn't know anything, so he, he got some of the fake money out of it, and he came to um, mom, my wife, and, uh, who was, who was um, sitting and doing something, and, he, and, he, and he, so he, he, he got a, you know, a dollar bill or whatever it was, and he gave it to my wife, and then he went and got one, and he gave it to me. And my wife was, was busy during the day. She takes care of the kids, and my wife is his favorite person, well, obviously. I mean, at that age, I mean, nobody can compete with mom. <laughs> you know, nobody can compete with mom. So, so uh, you know... Uh, I, I do try, but, but uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out. Uh, he, he loves mom the most, absolutely 100%. He loves mom the most. But this, this is a powerful experience for me because I know that he loves mom the most. So, so he went and he got a dollar bill and he gave it to mom. And mom was busy and she was probably doing something, you know, pastoring or texting, texting somebody, something like that. So she's like, oh, thanks, you know, thanks, Makai. And then, and, then, and then he comes over to me and I'm on my iPad, but, but he doesn't hand me things too often because, again, he loves mom more. And so I was so excited that he was going to hand me something. And so I was like, oh, Makai, great job. You did such a good job, brother. Oh, we call our kids brother and sister. Just sorry, that's a little weird. But you know, it's like, brother, you did such a great job. That's so incredible. And then his face lights up. And then he goes and he gets another dollar bill and gives it to Esther and, and she's like, huh? And then, and then he comes and gives it. I'm like, brother, that's an awesome job. You did so good. You did so good. And then, and then he thinks to himself and then he goes over to Esther and he takes the dollar bill that he gave her. He takes it back <laughs> and then he comes over and he gives it to me. I'm like, Makai, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And he just smiles to himself. He takes the other dollar bill that he gave to mom and he comes and gets... Children at that age... Like, 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 they don't understand squat about the world. They understand acceptance and rejection. He has no idea the words that I'm saying to him, but he understands acceptance and rejection. And these things have very lasting consequences. Ishmael was rejected before he was born. Ishmael was rejected before he was born. And it was not his fault. And it was not his mother's fault. Do you remember the story? And where his mother Hagar fled, the angel of the Lord came to her and prophesied over her son. And the angel said, his hand will be against everyone and everyone will be against him. And he will rule over and against all of his kinsmen. The rejection that, is, that Ishmael experienced before he was born was the seed of a tension between two races of people, between Arabs and Jews that last to this day. It is never too early for a human to experience rejection that impacts not just them, but their family line, their tribe, their village, their city, their company. Like, like it is, it's a massive thing that needs to be, it's just a really big thing. It, it, it creates absolutely devastating consequences that can last generations, 
generations and generations and generations from, from a, a, a simple, Sarah, you know, Sarah did not like the fact that Hagar had gotten pregnant even though she sent her into Abraham. Like, like something that, a conflict in, in a foolishness, you know, in one family can create tension between two tribes of people for thousands of years. It's a very powerful thing. It is a very powerful thing. And the most devastating part of it is that 95% of it is entirely in your head. I don't want to say this to be mean, but I'll just go ahead and say it. Most people don't care enough about you to reject you. Sometimes it's just, it, it just bewilders me. There's so many people that think that I'm angry at them. Do you know how much effort it takes to be angry at someone? Like a good amount, it's just like, y'all, there's not enough energy in my heart to be angry with everybody that thinks that I'm angry with them. Like, it, it, you know, even if I devoted myself full time to just, I'm mad at you, I'm mad at you, I'm mad at, like it just, it's, it's in your head. It's in your head, and, and the problem is that if it's in your head, and, and, and now we have to please you. Now every time I see you, I gotta smile at you. Now every time I see you, I gotta hug you. Now every time, now I'm just performing. And, and, and if this culture exists and this culture thrives, then I'm performing for everyone. And then church is just a performance where we're just performing for each other so that nobody feels rejected. But then, like, that's totally unsustainable and ridiculous. Does that make any sense? And it's a two-way street. Cain had to believe that he wasn't rejected. There was nothing for God to say or do. Cain had to exercise his free will to believe that he was not rejected just because he was a farmer and not a rancher. And sometimes we have to exercise that free will. We actually have to choose to believe the word of God that says we are accepted. We are not rejected. We are adopted as sons. God accepts us. He does not reject us. Almost Every, I don't want to exaggerate here, many, many, many tensions, that, that personal tensions, personal conflicts that, that, that I get involved in or hear about in life have to do with this. Parents that have conflicts with their children, there are some parents that have conflicts with their children because their children decide to come to our church and they don't want to. And, and, and I, I try to understand why. Why is it that God-loving parents don't want their children to go to a church that's different from the church that they... And very often, I think it's because the parents feel that their children have rejected them in choosing to be in a different church or a different movement. That, that the, does that make any sense? So it's like dad is a software engineer, but, you know, but, but Timmy doesn't want to be a software engineer. Timmy's my generic name for, for, for sons. But Timmy doesn't want to be a software engineer, and so Timmy has rejected dad. Timmy's not rejected dad. But if dad believes that Timmy not wanting to be a software engineer is because Timmy has rejected dad, then dad's going to try to control Timmy. And then Timmy's actually going to reject dad. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's the same way, the other way around. You know, kids, we don't feel like, you know, our parents accept us. Our grades are not good enough. Our manners are not good enough. Our dress is not good enough. We didn't sing good enough to make it into the church choir. And so we think mom rejected us. So then I'm going to dye my hair. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dress weird. And I'm going to have holes everywhere. It's going to be a little bit unique so that other people won't reject. It's, it's a lot of it is fighting for this stuff. Here's, here's the crazy part. Are you ready for the crazy part? The crazy part is that the devil uses it as a weapon. I've heard many stories of where 
somebody is, is, is a Satanist, like they, they've given their, their life to Satan, and then one day they, they find Jesus and they, they want to come out. And do you know what the devil says to him? He says, Jesus doesn't want you. Jesus doesn't want you. I own you now. You gave your life to me. Jesus doesn't want you. And it's a total lie, obviously. But it is a lie that is powerful enough to keep people out of the church. And the problem is that as a church, we reinforce it. How many LGBT ABCs do you think are that way because they felt like they were rejected for who they were and then so they tried to be something different so they'd be accepted and then the church actually rejected them and then now they're rejected. And we play the game because we're like, oh yeah, God has rejected you. um, One of my best friends when I was in high school, she and her family were not believers and and I wasn't super spiritual but I did want God to, to save them. And we were out of touch for a few years, and then, and then, um, uh, and then after college, we got back together, and, and we're just hanging out, and she was telling me about what was happening to her family, and, and she said, um, you know, you know, my parents got a divorce. I said, yeah, that's right. I'm so sorry to hear about that. And, and, and she said, you know, my mom, in the course of going through the trauma of getting a divorce, decided that she wanted to be a Christian because she just had nothing else in life, and, and, and my dad had left, and, and, and some of her friends were Christians, and, and I said, oh, that's amazing. And then she said, um, but... But my mom tried to go to a Christian church and because she was a divorced woman, they didn't want anything to do with her in her church. And I can't tell you how much that broke my heart. But it's rough, isn't it? Because the feeling is so real it feels so real, that feeling, that, you know, I'm divorced now, so I'm not accepted. Or I gained some weight now, so I'm not accepted. Or I cut my hair, so I'm not accepted. Or I'm sick, so I'm not accepted. Or I failed on this one thing, so I'm not accepted. Or I didn't get a job, so I'm not accepted. And it, 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 just, it feels so real, and it's all a lie. It's all a lie. The blood of Jesus speaks the truth. Everything else is a lie. It's, it's a total lie, and yet it ensnares, it, it, it just traps, it, it's, it's absolutely horrendous. I'm going to tell you one last story, and then, um, and then uh, we'll pray. There was a seer once, she was uh, taken to heaven, Jesus was um, showing her some different things in the spirit, and Jesus brought her to this, to this man, who in the spirit, he was just in awful condition, awful condition demons and darkness and strongholds and chains and, and emaciated. I mean, he just looked like he was just barely alive, just, just terrible, dark, filthy, ugh, just really bad. And Jesus said to her, she said, um, he said, uh, do you know who this is? And um, she said, no, a terrorist, Hitler, uh, you know, a criminal, a prostitute, a drug dealer, who? And Jesus said, this is one of the most faithful missionaries of his generation, And so she said, Lord, how can that be? Look at him. Like, I've never seen, she she had gotten some of these visions before. She said, I've never seen anyone like that. How could you say that he's one of the most faithful? And she said, let me tell you a story. He said, I sent him to a country in in Asia. Now, this was many, many decades ago. But he said, I sent him to a country in Asia that was entirely unreached when he got there. 
many, many years ago. And he labored there many, many years without seeing fruit. Lots of years without seeing fruit. He would go out, he'd be faithful all the time. He wouldn't see fruit. And in the course of his life, he helped translate a part of the Bible and, and did you know, other good things, but he just never saw fruit. He never really saw conversions or churches or, or things like that. I, I don't know if you know, but what Brother David and his family have experienced in Mexico among the Indians, this is, it's unusual. There's many great missionaries, first generation with the gospel, no fruit, I, but they're faithful people, but just no fruit, just no fruit. Very common. Um, and, and that's what happened to this man. He just had no fruit. He, there's Bible translation, and there was, you know, there, there was other things that happened that were very extraordinary. He shared the gospel and got the ideas of the gospel out there, but the people were just not ready, and they weren't willing to abandon their, spiritual, uh, their spiritualism and, and, and go for the gospel. And that happened for 30 or 40 years, and then, um, and then he retired. And when he retired, the Lord said the time had come, the, 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 it was now harvest time, all the seeds that he had sown in those years, that it was ready for harvest time. And so the Lord said, I sent a new generation of younger missionaries in their 20s from different denominations and different ministries to come to this, to this nation to reap the harvest that the old man had sown. Do you remember in the book of John where, where, where Jesus, there's some that sow and some that reap? And sometimes it's different people. And, and that's what happened in this case. And, and he said, oh, so I raised up a generation of, of younger missionaries in their 20s from different denominations, different movements, to come to this nation and to, and, and, and to reap the harvest. And, and they had explosive ministries. Thousands of people were getting saved. Churches were being planted. Miracles were happening. And, and, and soon enough, there was a, a very significant Christian population in the country. And then these young revivalists, these young evangelists, these young missionaries did not give honor to the old man. And so they became famous and Christian magazines back home would write about them and they would get invited to speak at stadiums and large conferences and, and give their testimonies and talk about what wonderful things God was doing. But the old man was neglected and he wasn't honored. And even though people knew about him, people thought that he was a failure. And so what happened was that that old man then became bitter because he felt that even though he was more faithful that the Lord had overlooked him and rejected him and that the Lord had given favor to the young men. It was just a delusion but it was a powerful enough delusion that, he, that he, he, he opened the door to anger in, in his heart. He opened the door to bitterness in his heart. He opened the door to offense in his heart. And over time, they overtook him. Oh. And the Lord says, and here's the thing that's a real shame. He says, this man does not know that in heaven, every single soul that was saved by the next generation, he's going to have a part of the reward. Um, he has a huge, 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 huge reward waiting for him when he gets here. But he has no idea. And he thinks that he's just been abandoned by God and by men. It's just a delusion. But it's a delusion that is so powerful that even very great men and women are able to get wrapped up in it in such a way that it creates a very substantial amount of damage in their own lives. And it causes faithful people to, to walk away from God in a way that, you know, witchcraft would not, or, you know, these other things would not. There are people that, they don't fall into sexual sin, they don't, they don't do, they don't steal, they don't murder, they don't kill, but they feel rejected, and because they feel rejected, then they begin to stray, and then they begin to walk away from God. This thing's a two-way street. It's, there's nothing that, you know, <laughs> but, but, if we understand it and if we can walk it out, I, I think there's a lot of people that you can help save. Notice it, recognize it, recognize when it's happening in you and in the people around you and, 
and allow God to deliver you out of it. Believe that it's a lie and believe that God will deliver you out of this. Great ministries, great church networks have been torn apart because of the, the, the speculation that they might be rejected. And uh, it's, it's, it's a weapon of the devil that is, is just, it wrecks havoc. And there's no reason the people of God should understand and should stand in faith over these things. So why don't you pray? I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're just going to, um, we're just going to, uh, sorry, why don't you stand? Let's, yeah, I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to pray together and, um, and see if uh, we can just minister here. I, I've experienced this so much in my life that I, 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 if I were to ask who in this room has felt rejection before, uh, that, that, that would be endless. That would be endless. Um, but there may be some people in this room where it's a crippling thing, where there, the, the feeling of rejection is so strong on you that you're utterly crippled by it, and, uh, and it's destroying your family, it's destroying your life. And if that's you, and hopefully there's, there's not, well, who knows, we'll see. If that's you, I want to invite you to come up and, and we'll spend some time praying for you if you like. Everybody else, if, you're, if, if it's just a normal, a normal amount of bad, a normal amount of bad. We're just, yeah, just let the Holy Spirit touch you <laughs> and save us from, from three hours of ministry. But um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. We'd love to do it. We'd love to do it. Love to do it. Love to do it. It's a pleasure, an honor. Never get tired. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but just, hey, as the band is coming up here, though, but seriously, if, if, if you experience... Um, can you just close your eyes for a moment because this thing can, have, can cause shame in people even though there's no reason for it to. It's completely common. It's not uncommon at all. It's completely common. The person to your left and to the right has also experienced it. There's nothing weird or strange or deformed or different about you because you've experienced it. It may not even be your fault. Ishmael, it was not his fault that he was rejected. It was not his fault that he was rejected, but it doesn't change the fact that he was in fact rejected and he had to deal with that rejection in his life. And it may not be your fault you may come from a broken family. You may come from a broken church situation. Somebody may have said something, abused you in some way, and you may have felt abandoned, orphaned, uh, whatever it is. It may not be your fault, but, but we still need to deal with it. And it's still the will of God to come and to mend broken hearts and to heal you of this and to save you from the consequences of opening your life to it more. And so if that's you, I just want to invite you, please come up here and just let us pray for you. Don't, don't, don't be shy. This is everybody in this room, but I'm just asking for the ones where it's, where it's really serious. And you know that it's really serious. Just make a line. Just come on, come on, come on. Don't be shy, don't be shy. Just come on, line up. Brother David, Miss Abby, if you guys wouldn't mind. Brother Jody, anybody that you like, if you guys wouldn't mind. We're just gonna go around and maybe give you a hug, touch you, um, pray for you, minister to you, the love of God, the acceptance of God, the acceptance of God. There's nothing that can prevent God from accepting you other than pride. And if you're willing to let pride go, which pride also upholds rejection all the time, but if you're willing to let that go, you are accepted in Jesus' name. And we're just gonna pray over you and, and ask that the Holy Spirit would make that real in you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.